Walking Dharma podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today's episode is called Overcoming the Obstacles. In Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, he mentions that there are five obstacles that prevent us from reaching full self-realization. These obstacles, or kleshas, klesha translates as obstacle, arise all the time. They are innate within us, meaning we're born with them. It's part of being a human is to work with these obstacles and also learn to overcome them through intelligent means. The Bhagavad Gita says yoga is skill in action. And in reference to how to overcome these obstacles, basically we use skillful means. Yoga Sutra 2.3 says, Ignorance, egoism, attachment, hatred, and clinging to bodily life are the five obstacles. Sutra 2.5 says, Ignorance is regarding the impermanent as permanent, the impure as pure, the painful as pleasant, and the non-self as the self. So ignorance is the first obstacle, and the order in which the obstacles are stated is important because all of the other obstacles arise from ignorance. Ignorance doesn't mean that you don't know what time it is. That's not the kind of ignorance we are discussing here. The kind of ignorance that we are discussing here is ignorance of our own highest nature. This type of ignorance being discussed leaves us in a state of separation from all of life. Because when we are unaware of our own highest nature, which is the reality that we are composed and comprised of divine essence, and so is everyone and everything else, when we forget this, we live in a dualistic mentality. We start to think it's us against the world. We start to detach ourselves from others. When we detach ourselves from others, we also detach from our self, meaning we detach from our highest self, the supreme being that resides within each and every one of us. To break the sutra down a little bit more, ignorance is regarding the impermanent as permanent. A good example of this is whenever we have a bodily pain arise. Let's say you have a stomach ache. If you've never had a stomach ache before, whenever you are experiencing the stomach ache, it might be easy to think that it will never go away. And the mind will start to go into this whole cycle of fear, fear of death, fear of not having a good life or never being able to eat some good food again. But then you wake up the next morning and the stomach ache is gone. And we begin to realize that it wasn't permanent. No bodily pain is permanent. Whether it be relieved from a little bit of medicine or rest or death, either way, no bodily pain is permanent. Another example of regarding the impermanent 
as permanent is whenever we're going through a challenging time in life, sometimes it seems like there may be no way out. If we realize that nothing is actually permanent, we can tap a deeper inner strength to move beyond that state of dismay. We can recognize that even if we're struggling for the time being, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Even if we can't see the end of the tunnel yet, we just have to trust Trust that everything is for purpose. Everything we undergo is leading us towards that light. And what is that light? It's the light of knowledge. Not book knowledge, but knowledge of the self. Truly understanding that the supreme being dwells within us and within all of life. That's the kind of self-knowledge I'm talking about. So one of the forms of ignorance is to believe that temporary things are not temporary, that they're, they will last forever. Back to the Sutra. Ignorance is regarding the impure as the pure. An example of this is when someone follows someone who claims to be a guru and they do everything this person says. But then in the long run, the truth is revealed that the so-called guru was just power hungry and a very good storyteller. And we see this happen a lot in the yoga world. People will start following a teacher and they'll put all of their faith in this person. And suddenly, whenever a scandal is revealed, their entire bubble is burst. Any good guru will remind you that the, the highest guru is within yourself. So regarding the impure as the pure is often from having a slightly tarnished viewpoint. It's where we're not seeing things clearly as they are so we can be led astray. In my experience, if I have found that I have fallen victim to this, like maybe putting all of my trust in someone who come to find out didn't really deserve it, the best way to clear the ignorance is just to move on. Just to let it go and acknowledge, next time I'll be more discerning. Next time I'll really check in with my gut feeling. How do I feel about this person? Or, you know, we could get into this more. How do I feel about this food? Is this food really going to serve me? Is this really medicine? We can even take it down to the layer of our thoughts. Some of the thoughts we feed we might think that they're leading us somewhere, but if they're coming from a place of delusion, a place of ignorance, they might just lead us to chasing the sunset, running after things that we can never catch. So part of discovering true knowledge is being mindful of what we are thinking. We might think the mind has control over us. That's another form of ignorance. We have to realize that the heart is in the driver's seat if we allow it to be. And if we can become deeply present, whatever thought stream is going, no matter what, we have the ability to change the focal point and shift away from those self-destructive thoughts. So having impure thoughts is highly subjective. But what I define as an impure thought is any thought process that doesn't lead me to greater clarity. 
any thought process that blocks me from love and reverence for other beings. Whenever those thought processes arise, the work is to simply see through them, see them as a story, see them as the mind playing them out. Just because the mind plays them out does not mean we have to listen. Returning to the sutra again, ignorance is regarding the painful as pleasant. An example of something truly painful that can be perceived as pleasant is drinking alcohol. At the time, whenever we are drinking the alcohol, it might be highly pleasurable. It might create feelings of euphoria, being more open, being more confident. But the cost it has on the body and our vibrational field and our energy level even is not worth it. It actually leads to more pain. Truly, drinking alcohol is a pain-inducing process. The benefits of it are so fleeting. It lasts for, what, one or two or three hours? And then what do we do the next day? We suffer terribly. The last part of the sutra says, Ignorance is regarding the non-self as the self. And this is really the root cause of all of the other forms of ignorance and all of the other kleshas or obstacles. Regarding the non-self as the self basically means we might think the body is all there is. Instead of seeing our deeper, higher nature, which is unchanging and does not die when we die, if we get caught up in thinking the body is all there is, the personality is all there is, we start to become lackluster spiritually. We become a heavy materialist. Vanity takes over. And also, as mentioned before, separation mentality arises. Because if we don't realize the divine essence that dwells within us is present always within us and present always within all of life, we are more likely to be unkind. We are more likely to lack reverence. And most importantly, if we don't realize that there's this universal, all-connecting divine essence within all of life, we tend to lack compassion. It starts to feel like, well, why do they matter? And this is the ultimate ignorance, is to not realize that the pain someone else is going through could also be our pain tomorrow. So part of finding true vidya or knowledge is to cultivate compassion. Cultivate the idea that we are all one and interconnected. No matter how different we may feel from someone else, we have a linking factor, which is that our souls are comprised of the same essence. Any over-identification with the body is seen as ignorance in the yogic philosophy realm. 
for me personally, a very powerful way I've overcome identification with my body was through experiencing pain, through experiencing illness and discomfort. It makes or made me start to dig deeper and look for, well, what isn't in pain right now? What part of myself is still in total perfect health? And if you dig deep enough, you will locate that aspect of yourself, no matter what you are going through on the surface. If you refuse to identify with it, if you realize that your pain is not who you truly are, you start to ground into that internal witnessing aspect of yourself. And this allows you to take 10 steps back from your pain and realize it's truly on the surface. Even if the pain is very deep, and this is harder work when the pain is very deep or when it's chronic, it is possible to do this. Through doing this, we start to gain true self-knowledge. Yoga Sutra 2.6 says, Egoism is the identification, as it were, of the power of the seer with that of the instrument of seeing. So egoism in Sanskrit is asmita. And egoism is basically where we get confused. It's where we think the ego, our personality, our looks, all the things that we can say we've achieved and done in this life, our beautiful girlfriend or boyfriend that we have, all of these things, it's where we identify that this is all there is in life. And this is a catch because all of the things in life that you can have and achieve are not permanent. They fall away. So if we get wrapped up in this egoic identification that all of the external is ours, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. And even worse, we'll lose a lot of friends in the process because no one really wants to be around someone who thinks only they matter. And whenever we allow egoism to take control of our lives, this is what happens. We start to forget about others. It starts to become only about how much we can achieve, how much money we can make, how many followers we can get on Instagram, how many fancy yoga poses we can do. I've experienced this myself. So many times when I go into a yoga room, I am the most experienced student in the room. And it's hilarious to watch. And this happened way more in the past. It doesn't really happen anymore because I've had to go through it so many times. I finally just moved past it. But it's hilarious to watch my bubble get burst when there's some other experienced practitioner in the room. It's like suddenly I feel threatened, even if I don't want to. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to take something away from me. This is the ego at play. Whenever I feel this tendency, it's like competition. Whenever I feel it rise up within me, I have to bring myself back to that witnessing state and just watch that interplay go on in my mind without reacting to it. By witnessing this interplay of the ego in my own mind, I'm able to drop it. I'm able to move back into that space of compassion. 
And then I can find joy for that other experienced practitioner rather than jealousy or competition. I'm not saying to remove the ego completely. I believe we need the ego to function in our day-to-day life. Or, you know, I identify myself as Kristen. Someone else identifies themselves as Laurie. Someone else identifies themselves as Brian, and so on and so forth. Our ego helps define who we are in this world. The problem with it is when it gets out of control, and we start to think that we are the only ones who matter. So the Yoga Sutra is saying, Ego is the identification of the seer, which is the self, the supreme soul within, with the instrument of seeing, which is the body-mind. So it's where we get confused. It's where we think this supreme being within us is the body, is the mind. So the way we step out of the ego is to constantly remind ourselves that we are much greater than all of this. And that that dot of light in the center of our heart is really our true home. Sutra 2.7 says, Attachment is that which follows identification with pleasurable experiences. Raga is the word for attachment in Sanskrit. Attachment is that which follows identification with pleasurable experiences. This is something that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. Last night, I went to a dance that my partner DJed, and I danced for about three and a half hours, and it was so blissful and powerful, and I felt like I was able to step out of my ego. I wore these red-lensed glasses, so I couldn't really see who was around me. I could barely see anyone, and that allowed me to go inward and really feel myself and express and dance in the way I was called without considering what other people were thinking about me. I might have looked like a lunatic, but it was really perfect for me. It was the medicine I needed. So this morning I woke up and I immediately felt sad that I wasn't going to be able to dance again today in the same type of way that I did last night. That pleasurable experience brought up feelings of attachment within me. It took me a while today to work through that feeling of disappointment. And that's what attachment does. It creates disappointment. Attachment creates an insatiable appetite for things. Attachment makes us go way off the scale of moderation into excess. Think about it. Attachment with food is a big thing. So many people eat a lot of food that's not healthy for them. Even if they know it's not healthy for them, they continue to eat it. And this is springing up from attachment. It's springing up from their belief that certain food gives them joy and other food does not. I see this all the time. I've seen my father work through this. He's had to start eating healthier And it has taken him a long time to make that transition because he had this belief that all that healthy stuff didn't taste good. 
He was even attached to that belief that the healthy stuff couldn't taste good. So even when I would make him delicious food, he would look at it out of one eye and be like, I don't know. And then once he would eat it, he would realize that the food I made him was better than the unhealthy food he was eating. By far, it tasted better. So part of the way we overcome attachment is by letting go of belief systems that no longer serve our highest good. One of the reasons we attach to so many different external things is because we forget that all the happiness, all the love, and all of the joy is already within us. Our mind affects what we are attached to. Our belief systems that we cling to affect what we are attached to. If we are willing to take a good look at ourselves and see what is truly serving and see what is just an illusion that we need to let go of, we start to overcome attachment. The next sutra, Sutra 2.8 says, Aversion is that which follows identification with painful experiences. The word dvesha means aversion. Another word for aversion, a synonym, is hatred. Aversion is the opposite of attachment. When we allow aversion to rule our lives, we tend to spiritually bypass important lessons, relationships, and experiences. Even in context of being a yoga teacher. I've witnessed students sabotage themselves in the practice because of their aversion to a category of postures. I have a student who doesn't like chanting or pranayama, and I always start my class with at least a little bit of that. And this student has stopped coming to see me because she doesn't want to have to chant or breathe. I mean, who would have thought? Yoga, chanting, breathing, right? It's pretty hilarious, considering chanting and breathing is quite possibly more important than the asana. Meanwhile, this student has lost nearly all of her progress in her asana practice because of her aversion to certain aspects of the practice. And this is what yoga really has taught me and many others, is that oftentimes what we are averted to is what we need the most. It's the medicine that will help us overcome whatever obstacles we're dealing with. Aversion is a sort of running away. And if we are heavily guided by things we don't like, meaning, oh, I don't like that, so I'm not going. Oh, I feel uncomfortable in a group of people. I'm not going to go through that. Whatever it is, you name it. So many experiences are missed out on because of our fear. Our lack of desire to feel uncomfortable. What I have noticed for myself 
is if I put myself in those uncomfortable situations, I'm often so satisfied when I'm done with the experience because I know I've overcome some mental blockage within myself. I love this saying, there's no way to it but through it. Whatever experiences or aspects of being alive charge us up or make us feel triggered are often things we need to look into more rather than run away from them. So the sutras say attachment and aversion both create suffering. And aversion is driven by attachment, attachment to be comfortable always. Attachment to not having a confrontation. Attachment to a way of life or a way of believing or being. You can see this right now politically. So many people are in denial of climate change. Why? Because they are attached to making a lot of money. Their aversion is not only affecting them, It's affecting the entire world. I always tell myself, sit with whatever is arising. This is a good remedy for both attachment and aversion. Any type of running away or running towards is an obstacle for us to be fully present. Because if we're always running somewhere, we're never right here where we are. Sitting with whatever is arising is a technique that allows us to become deeply present. It brings us back to ourself. It brings us back to that ability to watch life play out like a movie. Be courageous. Be vulnerable. And be willing to see the truth as it is. Sutra 2.9 says... Clinging to life, flowing by its own potency due to past experience, exists even in the wise. Abhinivesha is the word for clinging to life. Clinging to life is something that all living beings have. I notice if I go to kill a cockroach, once that cockroach sees me, it runs all around and it goes to hide. All living beings love their life. Clinging to life is something inborn within us. It is an intelligent faculty to have. If I stand on the edge of the cliff, I have fear. Fear that if I fall off the cliff, I'm going to die. This memory of or knowledge that I can fall off the cliff and die, is exactly that. It's a memory. It comes from past experience. Either in this lifetime or my past lifetimes, something has informed me that if I stand on the edge of something high, if I fall off, I could die. Therefore, that instinctual, or what we call instinct, is really memory. That memory that I can fall and die comes in and prompts me to move away from the edge of the cliff. 
which of course I then follow because I love my life. It says, it exists even in the wise, even the most enlightened beings, on some level or another, love their life. That doesn't mean they fear death. It just means that this klesha, this obstacle, is pretty much impossible to overcome completely. I'm sure there are some very high beings who have overcome it. But for most of us, clinging to life guides a lot of our decisions. Whenever we forget our true nature, that nothing is permanent, clinging to life gets bigger and bigger. So suddenly, we start not going out at night because we're afraid of having a car accident. Or we don't go travel somewhere we've always wanted to go because we're afraid of what might happen. Or we don't swim in the ocean because we're terrified of getting attacked by a shark. I mean, I could go on and on. Clinging to life when not in its proper minimized state. For example, minimized state, I mean, okay, clinging to life arises when we are in inherent danger. When clinging to life is arising all the time for no apparent reason, first of all, we're in extreme fight or flight overdrive. But secondly, it hinders us from fulfilling our dreams. Anything that is worth having usually requires us to take some sort of risk. If we are living in a constant state of fear of what might happen, we won't be willing to take those necessary risks that lead us to living a fulfilling life. If we always in fear of what may happen, or even worse, what others will think of us, we end up living an average life, a life that is driven by attachment and aversion, a life that is driven by egoism for fear of, if my body dies, I'll die. When we know this isn't true, when the body dies, the higher innate divine essence within us, it moves on. It gets another body. So more experiences can be had. More karma can be cleared. Until eventually we reach self-realization. Clinging to life comes from ignorance of thinking the body is all there is. If we start to recognize that we don't die when the body dies, yet at the same time we have a precious human life, and this life is here for us to live it in whatever way we want, we have to ask ourselves, well, what kind of way or in what kind of way do I want to live my life? Do I want to always be guided by fear and play it small? Or do I want to shoot big? Put myself out there, no matter whether I feel ready or not. Let's just see what happens and trust my own gifts. Trust the universe to carry me through. So one of the most powerful ways to overcome an excessive amount of clinging to life 
is to trust life. Trust that where you are is the perfect place. Who you are, what body you're in, is perfect for the karma and the path that you are to be walking in this life. Trust in a higher good unfolding for you. Trust that what you feel compelled to do, even if it creates fear or trepidation, what you feel compelled to do is what you are meant to be doing. And once you really realize that, you will be compelled despite the fear. You will be able to take action despite not knowing the end result. Taking risks is part of the juice of being alive. I know even for myself, starting this podcast was a big deal. I had a lot of fear come up. My ego was like, no, I don't want to receive negative feedback. I can't handle it. I'm too fragile. And I had to anchor in something deeper. And that deeper calling that I want to share these teachings and my voice with others. Not because I'm special, but because I feel called to do it. And that is reason alone to do it. So to sum this up a little bit. We overcome ignorance by seeking knowledge of the self. We overcome egoism by realizing that we are not the body, nor our achievements, nor anything else that can be changing. That is not us. Anything that can change is not who we are. So we overcome egoism by grounding in the highest self, that divine essence within you. We overcome attachment by being willing to let go of the past so that we may embrace the present moment. The past could have been five years ago, five minutes ago, 50 years ago, either way. Ideally, we continually drop the past so we can be in this present moment. If we are always caught in trying to make things feel a certain way again or relive a certain experience, we miss out on the way we're feeling right now. We miss out on the experiences we are having right now. Only being in the present moment can be truly fulfilling. We overcome aversion by sitting with discomfort. Our willingness to witness and simply sit with our own discomfort makes the discomfort start to subside. Suddenly, there are experiences or circumstances that used to make you feel really uncomfortable, and now you're at ease within them. Overcoming aversion allows us to break our own barriers of what we think we are capable of. When we can sit with the anxiety of getting ready to go be in front of a group, if you're a yoga teacher, for example, suddenly, through time and practice, being in front of a group no longer creates anxiety. So it's all worth it. Sitting with discomfort is always worth it. 
because it allows us to dig deeper and realize we are not our discomfort. We overcome clinging to life by trusting that the way life is unfolding is in total perfection with the path that we are supposed to be walking. And whatever is happening right now in your life, that is your path. It is part of it. Nothing that you can experience is separate from your own highest path. Every experience that you can undergo is part of the divine unfolding for your own highest self-realization. Yoga Sutra 2.10 says, In subtle form, these obstacles can be destroyed by resolving them back into their primal cause, the ego. So the ego is a beast in so many of us. And the ego is what clings to attachment and aversion and life. If we simply practice witnessing these kleshas or obstacles arise, but moving forward in the best way we know how, eventually they dissolve. They lose their grip on us. By being willing to put ourselves in somewhat uncomfortable situations, even yoga practice, I know very few people who always find yoga, yoga postures enjoyable. Most people find it very intense. But the yoga postures serve a purpose. They help check us. They put us in our body. They show us where we are at. And they teach us to sit with discomfort. I'm not talking like rip your hamstring and offer it to God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about mild to moderate discomfort. I know for me, it's really hot in Hawaii. And if I practice in a crowded room, I sweat a lot. And that creates a feeling of discomfort or even anger within me. And the way I overcome it is I just keep practicing. I just stay right on cue. I hold my gaze point. I stay with the ujjayi breathing. And eventually, those strong feelings that were arising, the aversion to the sweat, they fall away. Our willingness to keep going back to the witnessing state allows these obstacles to dissolve. Yoga Sutra 2.11 says, In the active state, they can be destroyed by meditation. In the active state means when one of the obstacles are arising for you in that moment. The obstacle can be destroyed by meditation. So this really sums this all up. It's saying, through your own awareness, you can dissolve these obstacles, meaning you can see through them as they are arising. This is talking about formal meditation, but also mindfulness type of meditation where, for example, I'm washing the dishes and I'm still being mindful of what's arising. Sometimes when I wash the dishes, I start to get really upset that I don't have a dishwasher. I know this sounds ridiculous and it's super um, developed world problems, 
but it's a good example. I'll feel all of this upset energy that up till now, I have to hand wash this whole pile of dishes. A practice for me has been to become aware when that is arising and start to be mindful, feel the water on my hands. Watch very carefully as I scrub each dish. Just notice the shape of the dish. Breathe deeply. And if I sit with that long enough, first of all, all of the dishes get done. But secondarily, I'm able to drop the aversion. I'm able to drop the attachment to the idea of having a dishwasher and simply accept things as they are. So the key to overcoming these obstacles is awareness. Awareness comes from our ability to be present with whatever is arising. And whatever is arising is certainly worth going through. It sure as hell beats the alternative. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma. Aloha. What's that sound? It's the wave.